There was an article published in a magazine in 2014, and, and let me put the title on the screen. This is the title, Loneliness is Killing Us. And I don't have this on the screen, but let me just read you just a bit of that from that article. That loneliness is a health issue would not have been a surprise to Mother Teresa, who once said, the biggest disease today is not leprosy or cancer or TB, but rather the feeling of being unwanted, uncared for, and deserted by everybody. goes on to say, loneliness has dramatic consequences on health. Feeling isolated from others can disrupt sleep, raise blood pressure, lower immunity, increase depression, lower overall subjective well-being, increase the stress hormone cortisol, which wears your body down. And loneliness is often the core feeling that gives rise to emotions of anger, sadness, depression, worthlessness, resentment, emptiness, vulnerability, and pessimism. Lonely people frequently feel that they are disliked or often self-obsessed and lack empathy with others. They fear rejection and keep themselves at a distance, which feeds the loneliness. Matter of fact, if you just Google, I Googled it this week, and when you look at the options of just the things down on the screen there, here was a couple that caught my eye. Is Facebook making us lonely? Now, it's one that I probably should have jumped in and read a little bit, but another one. Marriage but lonely. Uh, married but lonely. Over the years, even as I've worked with marriages, there's such a paradox there because people can be married and yet there's deep loneliness within even that relationship. It doesn't guarantee it. And catch this, even when you think back over the years, how many songs have been written about loneliness. Um, I grew up in the 70s, and there was a group there um, by, the, by the name of America. Anybody remember that group? They only had a couple hits. Um, but one of their hits was Lonely People. It was the title of the song. This is for all the lonely people thinking that life has passed them by. I would, I would sing that to you, but you would all leave, so I, I won't do that. But here's my contention. Loneliness sits in a counter camp to the core value that we're going to discuss today. Loneliness sits in a camp where the welcome sign above that camp says this, I really don't need relationships with people. Now, there's more to it than just loneliness in that camp. But let me read you the kind of the counterweight of that, our core value for today. I'll put that on the screen. We value fellowship. God's desire is that his people grow together in unity and maturity as the body of Christ. Fellowship is a value that the church of Jesus Christ must work at diligently. And I believe it's a value that's maybe more difficult than many of the other values we've already talked about. When you think of the time and the energy and and, and just the busyness of our lives and how hard it is to create margin for people in our lives. But there's another piece to it as well. We have to agree on the definition of what is fellowship. See, some people think it's this. If you just gather like this in a room like today, just sit in rows, kind of like a movie theater, and you watch what's going on up front, and and you watch a performance, and you leave, and you walk out, and you go, well, I have fellowship today. And you go, "Ah, I don't think so. 
But there's another one. Growing up, I, I think this was common for me growing up in a church. People would equate fellowship with a potluck. We'd have potlucks all the time, and, and they're, they're a good thing. You know, it's great to eat together. But at times, you go eat together, you go to a place, and then you have a little bit of chat going on back and forth, and then you leave, you go home to your family, and you go, is that really what biblical fellowship is all about? I, I think one of the tensions that we have is we keep defining church as a place that we go to. And that plays into our definition of fellowship. And understand, we are the church. The people are the church. And I think the early church, when they, when they looked at their relationships and this idea of fellowship, it would have been very different than what we experience at times today. But let me dig a little bit into the definition here. I want to put a word on the screen. It's a Greek word. It's koinonia. This is the word that's used in Scripture for the term fellowship. And it comes from the Greek culture, and it would include phrases even like this, living in community together. And here's another phrase I discovered in its meaning, owning a purse in common. Having a purse in common where, where the, everybody has that, is access to that purse. See, it was, a, it was a word that denoted a relationship where there was dependence on other people. It was, I think the term for us really is the right term, interdependent relationships. Now also, I discovered in studying this week that the word fellowship, when we talk about the idea of fellowship between God and us, that word was never used before Pentecost. It was only after the Holy Spirit came that that was a really a, a picture of even us and, and the Father and the Son in our relationship. But fellowship is pointing to a spiritual union, a relationship that's based on the work of the cross, and we're going to even remember that with communion today. But catch this, it was also an action word. It wasn't just positional that we're together in Christ. That word is, is used 19 times in the New Testament, and most of the time it's translated fellowship. But there are a number of times where they use these words, contribution, sharing, participation. See, those are action terms where it's not static, where we're just where we are together, but that's, that's well, I would say it this way, it's not just being together, it's doing together. And I think that's the hard part for us in 2015. But let me add some summary definition parts to it here. If you're taking notes, uh, these bullets, these three bullets here, the first, well, the first one I said it this way, components of fellowship. It's really about celebrating and remembering our union together in Christ. We have fellowship because we are in union with Jesus. The next bullet there, a second one. We're looking to move each other toward a deeper union with Christ. That's the action part. The purpose of moving other people toward Jesus, toward Christ. We look to present each other complete in Christ. Colossians 1.28. It's intentional conversations need to take place in fellowship. But let me give you a third one as well. Together. We're actively looking to do God's will. Collectively, 
Not just individually, but collectively. We're asking the question, how can a group of people be working within the kingdom of God and making a difference in this world? How do we follow God and follow what he wants for us in terms of a church? See, all of these purposes really are pointing and centered toward an interdependent relationship. It implies we need each other. So fellowship is purposeful relationships within the body of Christ. We gather for a meal. But it's not just the food. It's the conversations that stir spiritual movement. You can fellowship in a boat. But the primary goal is not to catch fish. Now, someone took exception to this at the first service. but No, in that boat, the purpose. We want to stir each other toward Christ in a relationship. See, it, it, it includes deep friendships with the goal to love, to spur on toward Christ. Fellowship says that we need each other as we walk toward Jesus. We need each other. And that we are one body collectively as a group with many needs and each of us has a responsibility to look up and around and go, who has needs that I can meet? Who can I serve? Who can I communicate with and love? See, fellowship is more than just showing up for an event. It's about unselfish loving. It's about honest sharing. It's about practical serving, sacrificial giving, sympathetic comforting and all of the one another commands that are found in the scriptures. So let me just kind of give you a summary statement, and we're going to just kind of keep hitting this here uh, this morning. The key point there, God intends. He invites us and he wants us to experience life together. That's a physical sense and the spiritual sense. The Bible calls this shared experience fellowship. But the fact remains that many people don't experience this within churches of today. And many people don't believe it's important or even choose to avoid it. There's a sermon illustration out there that goes like this. A family went to the movies. And on the way in, there's one of the, the older young men in the family. He decided to take some popcorn in. So he gets in line and the family runs into the theater and, and the lines are long. So it takes a long time to get the uh, popcorn. And, and he goes into the theater and it, you know how that dims the lights there when it starts a bit. And all of a sudden you walk up and down the aisle and you can't really see who's in the, in the, uh, in the different rows. And so he's walking up and down and he can't find his family. And, and finally, in desperation, he stopped and he kind of asked out loud, does anyone here recognize me? Try that at a theater sometime. <laughs> but even though we have church services that are well lit, there may be people who come into a church and feel like that young man, isolated and disconnected from everyone. And I think in every church, there's people that deep down, they're silently crying out from their hearts saying, does anyone here recognize me? Folks, they're longing for true Christian fellowship. But the fact remains that there are things that work against fellowship in a, within a body of believers, and even individually as well. See, no church is perfect. We're flawed people. 
friendships form in groups of, of any size, and all of a sudden people are busy, and, and even on Sunday morning, what happens a lot of times is you haven't seen your friends all week, so you come to church and you go, oh, let's all huddle up as friends. Those that I haven't connected with for a while. Meanwhile, there's someone standing over there. Would someone please notice me? So we struggle with it. Churches struggle with it. We're flawed people. We don't reach out. But there's other issues surrounding this, why we don't move toward fellowship as well. Let me read you a text that sets the stage for this issue. And it comes from Genesis chapter 3. And this passage... I don't think, do I have this one on the screen here? This is the one I don't have. Genesis 3, verse 6. If you've got your Bibles, turn here. There's a couple things you probably should underline if you've never under, underlined them in your Bible. But let me read it for you, beginning with verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. See, something happened there. And they sewed fig leaves together, and they made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And Adam said, I heard you in the garden. And I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Folks, this points to an issue in fellowship that we can't escape. Number one, if you're following along in the notes, I said it this way. Things that push back against fellowship. And that number one, I fear. The fear of being exposed and rejected. That's what Adam and Eve went through in the garden. And because of their independence and the choosing the pleasure of sin, humanity has inherited a pain of loneliness and the pain of separation from others because of that event. See, at its root, loneliness began in the Garden of Eden, and the impact of Eden still runs through to this day. And separation of people began, and what was real fellowship, they had fellowship with God in a way that we haven't experienced yet. And it was broken. It broke between God and Adam and Eve, but it also broke between Eve and Adam as well. And it has flowed down to every generation since. So understand this. There's a complexity of people in that. See, we have this deep desire to be known and to be in fellowship with others. And that's the way we're created. But at the same time, there's a fear that if people really know the deepest parts of who I, my soul is, they might reject me. So we hide. We put walls up. We, we stay satisfied with surface relationships. And this can take place even in a marriage. And it happens so often in churches. But let me push it farther. 
I want to read another verse, and it speaks to this. And it is actually a correction there. It should be Romans chapter 7, verse 14. Look at what it reads there in 7. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin, for I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, in, in this text, in Romans 7, there's a debate as to whether this is post-salvation or pre-salvation. I understand that. But there's, I think there's a, there's a common thread here in, in this passage, this, that we have conflicting desires that are within us. And so number two, I, I said it this way, we have a desire on one hand to be loved, but we're still motivated to build walls to keep people out. Stay away. Now, I've used this picture before because I think this is what happens at times in our lives is we're saying, somebody, please come and love me. And I'm, I'm, but they start to come close. We, stay, we keep a wall up. Don't let them get too close to me. They might really know who I am. And if they know who I am, they might not like it. See, the the hard question, will we trust people? In order for fellowship to exist, we have to trust people with the potential of that relationship actually breaking down, being hard, challenging. What if they don't like me? See, knowing that someone will see something in me that we don't even like, that's hard. And if I allow someone in my life, it's just like reminding me that I need some work on my life. And I really don't want to do that. I've discovered even in counseling with people, just hearing that that they have walls in their lives and that they're keeping people away subconsciously. People don't even like to hear that. And I go, no wonder people are willing to live lonely lives and yet hate it with a passion. See, the flesh throws lies at our hearts to which we buy into. Now, I want to point one aspect here of the flesh just just to remind you of is that I do not believe that Satan has complete access to our minds. I, I really don't think Scripture supports that. At times, God allows that. But Satan's not omnipresent. He's not everywhere. His angels aren't everywhere. They're not putting thoughts in. What's putting the thoughts in? It's our flesh. It's the old man. It's the self. And this self-protection oftentimes is a byproduct of the flesh because why? We learned it before Christ, before we came to Christ. And it doesn't end after Christ necessarily. So when we listen to the flesh, this is what the flesh is saying. I want you to have a relationship, but don't let anybody get too close. They might discover who you are. See, there's another aspect that the flesh, I think, lies as well. I want a deep relationship, but the reason why I'm not love is because of those people. It's other people. That's the reason why I'm I'm not loved. And the default then is to loneliness. And that other people aren't meeting my needs. 
But we don't want to stop and pause and go, maybe it's about my walls, it's about my fears, it's about my baggage. So at the same time, we can believe that if only people would love me, that would alleviate my loneliness and take away my, my ache for fellowship. We, we think we believe that. So here's the tension. I understand that pe- churches can and often are unloving and don't initiate relationships that God is calling us to. But when we begin to blame other people for the problem, we're really no different than those other people that aren't reaching out. You see, there's a, an old saying that says, to have a friend... One needs to be a friend. To have fellowship, people must also pursue and be willing to fellowship. And we have to trust people, and that fear has to be answered in the person of Christ. But let me give you one more piece here that holds us back. Number three, we allow the flesh to remind us, and this isn't for everybody, that fellowship isn't, all that important. I don't need it. But there's a contradiction because Scripture really commands it. Matter of fact, look at Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good, good works, not neglecting to meet together as in the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. See, the early church understood the need for union and living life together. And they understood that that if they're going to make it, they lived in a very, a world of suffering. And if they're going to survive, they needed people. See, we need other people in our lives. Fellowship spurs people to move my faith, to move your faith. Fellowship invites relationships that digs and keeps us going. But too many people have adopted the belief that I don't need people. I don't know if you realize it, but there's a trend going on, especially among the millennials and even the younger ones beyond that. And and I've, I've literally heard this said. People would say this, you know, I'm willing and I want to follow Jesus, but I just don't want to be a church, part of a church. Folks, that's believing a lie. The church is the people, the bride of Christ. We need people, and and listen to this, we even need flawed people in our lives. Why? Because I'm flawed. See, God chooses to use imperfect people to move us even toward himself. God uses other people to transform our lives. So we need fellowship. So it spurs us on to love God deeper and with more zest. But the fact exists in our culture, we're very busy. We don't create margin in our lives. Our families are busy. But listen, Jesus says this, to follow him. says you are called to be in relationship with others, with fellowship with others within the body of Christ. And I think that's where we got to pause and go, okay, God, what do you need to do to create margin? What is it about my life that I'm holding people out? We need to hold up the, the word of God as a mirror to our lives and say, why? What's happening with us as a church and individuals? 
See, God invites us to interdependence. And the flesh whispers independence. The Holy Spirit says, can be interdependent with people and the flesh comes back and says, yeah, but independence is better. See, that independence, the call to go, I can do it alone, is rooted in the fall. It's what Adam and Eve chose and they became actually even one step farther. As it moved through history, people have now viewed independence as a value. And you go, that's what got them kicked out of the garden was independence. They lost their interdependence, their dependency on God, and they became independent, autonomous creatures. But one of the things that we want to do is is we want to stir fellowship amongst the body. And I want to invite Steve up here. Um, Steve is our associate pastor, Steve Wick. And I don't know if you realize, he's actually got two roles. He made an announcement earlier for student ministries, but his student ministries, but there's another piece that he's taken for us to help develop our community groups. And you got an announcement for us, right? So as we're talking about how do we develop Christ-centered interdependent relationships? One of the ways that we work on doing that here is we have community groups. Um, And one of the things that we really have a need right now as we're getting close to the fall, we really want to start up a couple of more groups. Um, We would love to have maybe three, even four more community groups start up this fall, which means we need leaders. Um, So if you are willing and you, you feel God putting on your heart, you know, I'd really like to start a community group. I'd really like to start having a place where we can build these kind of relationships together, come talk to me. Um, I'd love to talk with you about how you can go about doing that and give you some tools and walk with you in that process. The other piece too, maybe you're kind of hearing uh, the sermon this morning and you're like, hey, I want to be a part of a community group. Um, Come talk to me as well, because that gives me an opportunity to talk with the leaders coming up and say, hey, these are some people that are looking for a group. So, yeah. So hit them up. Think about it. Pray about it. Uh, we want to stir relationships that go deeper here at the church. But let me move forward here, and i, I got to point out some benefits of fellowship that works well. And, and, but let me put a verse on the screen to start that. Psalm 133.1, How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. See, that's that interdependence. And if you're following along, taking some notes, the first two bullets there, I said this, fellowship actually builds friendships. It's really good. How good and pleasant. You catch those two words. But the second bullet there, I said this, it builds unity. A oneness that Christ says, yeah, do this. Become one like the Father and the Son are one. I don't know if you know of a name, of a story. Uh, in 1945, uh, at a Nazi camp of Flossenburg, uh, a pastor by the name of Dietrich Bonhoeffer was executed. And, and he was arrested about two years prior to that. And over those two years, he moved from prison to prison to prison. And he lost all contact with any of his friends, with, with, with his supporters and from the outside world. But he wrote some things in prison. And, and let me just read you one statement that he wrote while he was in prison. He said this, He lost 
the most precious possession he had. This is by being in prison. And that was, he used the word fellowship. Fellowship. Now earlier, Bonhoeffer actually had written a book called Life Together. It's a book that's on my list that I need to read at some point, and it's actually based on Psalm 133 here. And I want to just read you some, a, a quote from that particular book, because it's so rich. Look at what it says. The physical presence of other Christians is a source of incomparable joy and strength to the believer, a physical sign of the gracious presence of the triune God. How inexhaustible are the riches that open up for those who, by God's will, are privileged to live in a daily fellowship of life with other Christians. And he went on to say a little bit later, Let him who has such a privilege thank God on his knees and declare, It is grace, nothing but grace, that we are allowed to live in a fellowship with Christian brothers. See, he understood what it meant to have people in his life. That's the fellowship within the body of Christ. But let me, so let me give you but what, that last bullet there. Let me fill that in for you. I, I said it this way. Fellowship like that actually builds the kingdom of God. A, a couple of months ago, we looked at this text, so I didn't use it this morning. But look at Acts 2.42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. This would have been just immediately after the resurrection. And to fellowship. See, living life in such a way that they were connected and interdependent. They were also committed to breaking of the bread and to prayer, and everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together. And had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had a need. Folks, that's an action. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. An action. They broke bread in their homes. Action. And they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. See, when real fellowship works. It leads to deep relationships. It leads to interdependent living. But guess what? It is also deeply attractive to a lonely world. See, when a community grows and when fellowship takes place within the body of Christ, the world looks at that and goes, I want it. And I'm convinced that was what's taking place in the early church. They were living such lives together that outside people were going, you guys love each other. I want that. I want that. See, what do we do? Are we willing to jump into relationships, maybe become a leader, and take some responsibility of, of, of stirring other people on toward deeper relationships? Let me close by this. Um, one of the suggestions thrown my way here a couple weeks ago was, Ken, how, about, how do you apply this to sometimes families and to kids, and how could we create discussion there? Let me throw a question on the screen. It's not on your notes. But, but here's a, a thought, parents. Ask your children how relationships and fellowship benefit their lives. Uh, think of elementary age. 
Folks, there is a benefit to kids having friendships within the body of Christ. To having a youth group that's marked by deep fellowship. It benefits them spiritually. For adults, it benefits us spiritually to go together, to come together and have fellowship that's rich and deep and a thing of beauty. So we want all ages need to have it, not just adults as well. I'm going to ask the elders or those that are going to serve communion to come on up. But one of the challenges for us, I think, is that we struggle with it. But I think the table, as even as we come to communion, it's a realization that it calls us back to fellowship. Our fellowship with each other is based on our fellowship with Christ. And this represents that. That we are in Christ together. He died for us.